Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. This is the Ogletree Deacons Law Firm podcast regarding all things OSHA. Thanks for joining us today. I am joined by my partner, Deanna Hayes, here in the Tampa office, who also practices a lot of workplace safety and health law. Deanna, say hi. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Philip. So you're welcome. Well, ordinarily, we're talking about all things having to do with OSHA, that federal agency, and we've certainly talked a lot about the emergency temporary standard. But today we have a whole new law to talk about, and that is here in our home state of Florida. So uh, as you may have heard the news uh, yesterday, November 18, 2021, Governor DeSantis signed into law a new law that prohibits employers from mandating vaccines. Uh, Just as a uh, side commentary here from the political world, he signed in in a town called Brandon, So I will let you insert now your either eye roll or chuckle, whatever you choose. Totally up to you. But uh, if you're looking at it strictly from humor, you at least got to appreciate that point. What we're going to do today, folks, is we are going to look at this new statute. We are going to talk about federal preemption issues and go over some uh, ideas and and things that employers may want to be considering if you have employees in Florida. The law is effective now. In fact, it is day two yesterday being day one. So, uh, Deanna, let's get started. Let's jump right in. It is uh, the new law was uh, came out of the special session this week in Tallahassee. It was a special session called by Governor DeSantis specifically to look at the issue of vaccine mandates in the workplace. Uh, It was House Bill 1B that came out of the legislature. It has been codified at Section 381 point zero zero three one seven and is now part of Florida law. So it is the law in Florida. We will talk about uh, the preemption issue, but let's first of all dive into the statute itself. So we're going to start with section number one and we're going to walk right through it. Read along with us if you are where you can do that safely, not in the car. (laughs) Absolutely. And even if you're not in Florida, you may be in a state like Texas that has a similar law. So this might be helpful you to decide how you might want to analyze your state's law. Okay, so let's start right here. And the threshold issue, which is, do you require vaccinations of your employees or not? If the answer is no, this statute does not apply to your workplace. You're not covered. It doesn't apply. That's really the triggering question. If the answer is yes, you are mandating vaccines, then read along because this statute applies to you. So that's the first question, right? Right. Another important question is, are you a private employer or a public employer? So we're going to talk about those separately, and we'll focus on private employers first. Right. The first section we're going through definitely involves only private employers. There is a similar law. It's a different statutory section, which we will mention, which governs public employers. That's your government employers and schools. All right, so let's jump right in. So the first question that leaves right now is the, the, well, the first requirement is, 
is the prohibition of a vaccine mandate in Florida for private employers. All right. So now then we get into coverage questions. And the first question is, what employees are covered? And the statute references full-time employees, part-time employees, or contract employees. What does it mean by contract employee? So unfortunately, it doesn't give us a definition here of employee or contract employee. I mean, one would think that this might be an independent contractor by using the term contract, but it's kind of an oxymoron there. Usually it's either an employee or an independent contractor in the employment law world. All right. Well, on that note, then, we, we don't yet have a lot of rules from the state. We do have the forms already from the Department of Health. We are expecting some additional rules, so maybe we'll get some additional guidance. But on the statutory language itself, we don't yet know what contract employee means. Correct. All right. So let's jump in then to uh, the exemptions, because the base rule is you, uh, if you are going to mandate the vaccine for your employees, then you must, by this statute, provide five exemptions that the employees choose not the employer, but the employees can choose one of these five. So the first one is for medical reasons, as determined by a physician, an advanced practice registered nurse or physician's assistant. And the medical reasons include pregnancy or expectation of pregnancy. I don't know what that means. That is, again, probably something we should expect some further guidance on. The next one is religious reasons based on a sincerely held belief. All right. Next one is immunity based on prior COVID-19 infection as documented by a lab test, although we don't know how far back that test must have been taken. Perhaps we'll get further guidance there. Next one, number four, is agreeing to comply with regular testing at no cost to the employee. And then the fifth one is agreeing to use employer-provided PPE. Now, the interesting thing, each of these exemptions requires the employee to submit a new document that we will get to know and and learn here in Florida called an exemption statement. And the form varies for each of the five categories of exemptions that are sought. So let's go back through and maybe uh, track back through some of these forms and see what we can learn. On the medical exemption, just like the statute says, there's both a section for the employee and a section for the employee's medical provider. Uh, Anything interesting to pull from that one, Deanna? So basically here, uh, the first thing that's interesting is it's not clear whether an employer would have to use these forms that were developed by the Florida Department of Health or if they could use their own form that asked for more information. But as it's written now, I'm leaning towards thinking that we're going to have to use these forms that were provided by the department. Um, And looking at the medical exemption form, the first thing to note is, of course, the person who's authorized to complete the form has to be a physician or a physician assistant and the other categories that you said, basically someone who's approved um, to practice medicine under Chapter 458 or 459 Florida statutes and has an active license there. So that could be helpful for some of our clients who may have been seeing some of these medical accommodation requests come from med spas and other providers that clearly seem like they're not equipped to provide that opinion. Let's move on then to the next one. The next one is religious reasons. So looking at the form for religious reasons, this one I actually see there might be an issue because it says in the middle of the form notes, 
an employer shall not inquire into the veracity of the employee's religious beliefs. How might that be an issue with federal law? So it's interesting because some of you may know, but the EEOC has come out with a pretty detailed set of guidance and frequently asked questions with respect to COVID issues and mandatory vaccinations. And they have actually included a new section that indicates what you could ask to potentially verify whether or not an employee has a sincerely held religious belief. So this seems to say that you're not allowed to do that under Florida law. Yeah, and I think as, as a general matter, I think employers are not comfortable asking questions about someone's religious belief. And we've certainly heard that and seen that. But then if the EEOC says, well, here's a list of questions we think you're fine asking, it doesn't mean employers are actually using those questions. Correct. And I think it really comes down to kind of the culture of the organization. I think some employers, particularly those with a staffing shortage, are really saying, hey, we're going to grant pretty much any request for accommodation unless it appears to be totally invalid on its face. And then you have other employers who are really saying we want as many of our people vaccinated as possible. And those employers are kind of digging in and asking more questions. All right, the next form is COVID-19 immunity. That tracks to the third exemption available for individual employees. Anything to note about that exemption other than there's no date, uh, time period that we know of at this point? That's correct. All right, and then let's jump into the fourth exemption, looking at that form uh, for the exemption statement. Interesting here is the exemption statement does reference testing occurring not more than weekly. Statute doesn't say that, but the form does, so we should expect there to be some rule. But for now, employers looking at this exemption should be working with a testing requirement of not more often than weekly unless there's some evidence of symptoms. That's correct. And it also says that the testing should be done with an FDA emergency use authorized or FDA approved diagnostic COVID test. And then the fifth one, PPE. Well, the requirement here is that the employee is agreeing to comply with the employer's reasonable written requirement to use employer-provided PPE when in the presence of other employees or persons. Does that mean a mask? I think that certainly would be first question or first possible. Although we've we've heard from OSHA that a mask is not PPE, uh, <laughs> might it be considered that under this statute? Right. I think it could be. And it could also potentially be contemplating some employees who might wear other types of respirators as part of their job duties. Okay. Good point on the respirator. So we'll see. And as, as we mentioned before, there have these exemptions, have these forms. The department is working on some rules. Hopefully that'll provide some better guidance and we'll update folks uh, as we can. So then uh, the law also want to make one key point here is that what if an employer said, that I want to implement a policy that actually prohibits employees from taking the vaccination. So that's also prohibited by the statute. So you can't do, you can't mandate them and you can't prohibit them. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about enforcement. So uh, first thing to note about enforcement is probably much to the chagrin of, uh, of some lawyers in the state, the, uh, the statute does not allow for a private cause of action, meaning employees can't sue their employer for violating the statute. That's correct. So instead, employees are directed to file complaints with this Department of Legal Affairs, who will then do an investigation and decide whether or not 
um, the employer has improperly denied an exemption that the employee would be entitled to under this law. Um, interestingly enough, if the department determines that there was a violation, it is supposed to notify the employer of its determination and allow the employer an opportunity to cure the non-compliance. Now, I don't think we really know what that means by curing, but we do know that if an employee is terminated improperly because they uh, were denied an exemption and were required to comply with the vaccination policy, then basically the remedy and the only cure there would be for the employer to reinstate the employee with back pay or face kinds of penalties. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And in fact, the, the statute goes on to say that the attorney general, and by the way, that Department of Legal Affairs, that's the attorney general's office. So the attorney general's office will be the one that has to do the investigation and make these determinations. And there are fines, and the fines that could be imposed, um, there, there's a cap of $10,000 per violation if the employer has fewer than 100 employees. But if the employer has 100 or more, then the cap is $50,000, the key words being per violation. So if you have a policy that's implemented and you are denying exemptions or not offering the exemptions, then it seems that every affected employee might qualify as a per violation and those numbers could get pretty big. Exactly. And as a practical matter, it will be interesting to see how the attorney general's office handles these complaints and if they're going to be hiring more staff in order to investigate them. Well, I think that is something important to note because the attorney general is handling it. I guess the legislature made the decision that would be the best agency to handle that sort of thing at this point. We'll see how it shakes out. And I think we certainly will be looking forward to some further guidance and rules. The factors that are in statute the attorney general has to consider uh, are interesting as well. There are several factors in terms of deciding the amount of the penalty. And they are knowledge, good faith, uh, corrective action, whether the employer has previously been assessed a fine for violating the statute, or any other mitigating or aggregating factors as due process may require, which is interesting because that, again, will require an investigation. You can't really make a determination whether you're on the employer side or if you're with the attorney general's office unless you do an investigation, which would involve reviewing documents and interviewing witnesses. Sounds a bit like an OSHA investigation. It does. We're going to bounce out of the statute for a few moments and talk about this issue of preemption. So preemption is that concept under the law that federal laws or regulations may preempt or supersede or, uh, state laws. And that is something that certainly could happen here from three possible sources. The emergency temporary standard from OSHA, the CMS rule involving Medicare and Medicaid recipients or participants, and the executive order involving federal contracts. Let's take them in turn. So first, the emergency temporary standard. There may not necessarily be a direct conflict with the ETS as I see it, because the ETS mandates vaccinations or testing plus wearing a mask, weekly testing plus wearing a mask. So I guess you could foresee an employer choosing to comply with Florida law by uh, not mandating vaccines, but by mandating weekly testing 
and a mask wearing and still comply with the ETS? Do you see it the same way? I agree, and particularly now that we have a little more guidance in the form for the exemption for periodic testing and that it can be no more often than weekly unless there are COVID-related symptoms. So that seems to line up with what the OSHA ETS expects as well. Now, I'm making a big assumption here that the ETS survives the legal challenges it's going through because right now it is it has been stayed by the Fifth Circuit. The ETS is now in front of the Sixth Circuit after it won the lottery for the random selection of the circuit courts. And OSHA has itself said we are going to suspend implementation and enforcement pending the legal issues. So for now, that is not something that is imposing any requirements at all legally on employers. I think that's an important distinction when employers are trying to decide how they're going to best comply is that the OSHA ETS is not currently effective as of today's date, but this law in Florida is. It is. And in fact, let's let's use that to bounce back into Section 2 of the statute because I think it's important to note that these exemptions, if an employee were to check the box on any of the five, then what that does is it requires the employer to allow the employee to opt out only from the vaccination mandate. It doesn't say anything about testing. So you, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, you begin the question of, are you mandating a vaccine or not? If the answer is no, this law doesn't apply. And this law would not prohibit an employer from mandating mask wearing, social distancing, working from home, or any other measures. Is that right? That's right. I agree. So then that means there might be some consistency between this statute and the ETS if it survives the legal challenges. Let's talk about the, the CMS. So the CMS mandate covers those employers that are Medicaid, Medicare participants, and that mandate does not have the opt-out for weekly testing. Weekly testing would only come into play under the CMS mandate as potentially reasonable accommodation for those individuals who cannot be vaccinated according to a federal legal requirement under the Americans with Disabilities Act or Title VII. So CMS is going to use the federal standards. And in looking at the categories of exemption under this Florida law that we discussed, they go far beyond those two requirements under federal law. So there seems to be then a clear conflict with the CMS rule. And CMS, by the way, is Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, If you are covered by CMS, you know it because you are participating in those federal programs and then your employees would have that vaccination requirement Mm -hmm. with fewer exemptions of what this Florida law would provide. Therefore, there's a conflict that's going to have to be determined by a court. It will be, you know, and Florida has already filed a lawsuit asking the court to stay the enforcement of the CMS mandate that was filed by the attorney general on November 17th. So that's currently pending, but there is no stay in place right now for the CMS mandate like we have for the OSHA ETS. But it's something that these covered employers are going to need to watch because usually if you are participating in those programs, that's really the lifeblood of your healthcare organization. And it doesn't seem that many organizations could survive not being able to participate in those programs. Okay, let's look at that third area of possible federal preemption issues, and that's Executive Order 14042. That is the executive order that requires employees 
of federal contractors to get vaccinated. Do you see a conflict there? Correct. So yes, so you're going to have a similar conflict with the federal contractor mandate in that it also does not have an opt-out for weekly testing. So it seems like there's going to be uh, a conflict there because employers cannot choose that testing option. And there are also legal challenges pending in the courts that will just simply have to be worked out. Correct. Because if you are an employer and you are covered by the CMS rule or the executive order, that's a tough spot. Mm -hmm. And that is the Scylla and Charybdis. Do you want to continue doing business with the government through those programs and risk the administrative fines from the state of Florida? Uh, or do you forego the business in order to uh, avoid the fines? And that's it. That's the Scylla and Charybdis. That's a tough choice to have to navigate through. And the answer will certainly not be the same for every employer. So everyone's going to have to figure that one out. Absolutely. All right. So that's been some of the highlights of the, the private employer uh, mandate or the prohibition of the mandate, I should say. Let's quick comment on the public employees or the public employers. There is a new statute that was signed by the governor as well, and that is Section 112.0441, and it covers uh, public employees. And it includes employees of educational institutions, which it defines broadly, uh, as schools, uh, including even charter schools and others. And the interesting note here, without going too deep, is that the five exemptions we just went through don't appear in that statute. Right. So that appears to be a complete prohibition on vaccine mandates for public employers. It does. It seems like the law of the land there is you just cannot mandate. Period. Period. Okay. All right. Let's then talk about what does this mean for Florida employers? And we hope this has been helpful as a walk through the statute on a first run. There certainly will be more guidance coming out soon. But for right now, uh, if you are an employer, let's get back to that first an employer in Florida. That first question, are you mandating the vaccine or not? If the answer is no, let's go with that for a moment. This doesn't apply. So what can you do? So really, you can set up whatever you'd like to do as far as the COVID protections in your workplace. If you want to implement testing on a weekly basis, you can do that and potentially still be in compliance with the OSHA ETS if it does survive. Or if you have other measures in place um, because your employees are working exclusively outdoors and can socially distance, um, then you're free to kind of set those parameters. Just keep an eye on what happens with the ETS. Keep an eye then on any other legal developments that may impact, because even this statute might get challenged. So we also have to anticipate there could be some legal challenges on this statute. Agreed. And don't forget that OSHA enforces COVID complaints by employees, even outside of the scope of the ETS under the general duty clause. So you still want to be mindful of the CDC guidelines and OSHA's guidance there. But if you have a vaccine mandate in place, I guess your choice now is you either decide that you're going to leave your vaccine mandate in place and follow the statute or not. And if you're going to leave it in place, then you have to be prepared to interact with employees today because it's in effect now on these exemptions. And I suspect that there are employers all over across the state today that are getting copies of these forms in their HR department. 
Exactly. And it seems like a uh, more of a one-sided interactive process than most employers are used to, because basically what the statute says is if an employee submits the exemption and it meets the requirements of the form, you have to grant it. Uh, it does. I mean, Section 2, fairly clear. If an employer receives a completed exemption statement, the employer must allow the employee to opt out of the employer's COVID-19 vaccination mandates. That's fairly straightforward. But that, again, I want to emphasize here for our listeners today, that does the only opt out that comes from a completed exemption statement is the vaccination mandate. That allows employees not to have to go get vaccinated, but that doesn't mean the employer uh, is prohibited from mandating something else. And I think that's a very important distinction, that if employers wanted to continue to take measures short of uh, vaccination mandate that they this law doesn't stop that at all. So that's an overview of the statute, the preemption issues. We talked a little about about some issues employers may want to consider uh, with regard to what their strategy is in dealing with vaccination mandates or not. So Deanna, what's uh, what's next for employers? So what's next? We're going to continue to watch to see if there are further emergency rules promulgated by the department here with respect to implementing these forms and be on the lookout for new developments there. Also, if you're interested, we are going to be hosting a webinar to do a deeper dive into these issues on the 23rd at 2 p.m. And you can go to ogletree.com to find that information. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. We ordinarily talk about all things OSHA. Today, we took a little bit of a detour. Uh, it was uh, breaking news, of course. We wanted to get this to you as quick as we could. Hopefully, this has been helpful for your thoughts as you consider uh, what your circumstances are and what you may want to do. We will continue to monitor this statute and any regulatory developments involving it and do our best to keep everybody informed. Once again, on behalf of the firm Ogletree Deacons, my partner Deanna Hayes, I'm Philip Russell. Thanks for joining. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.